Listen up. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the podcast participants and not to any participants, employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. You know, for fun. So lighten up and enjoy. Stomping Jen. Sawtooth Frank. The stompingest Jen of all stomping Jens. How are you? <laughs> I don't know how many there are out there. Probably only one. That makes you the best one. That's right. Yeah. How you doing? I'm all right. Do you know who we're talking to on this episode? I do, but why don't you tell us? We're all. talking... I wanted you to, but I'll do oh, it. Oh, you want me to tell you? Yeah. Who are we talking Jordan to? Jordan Hall. Yeah. Who's that? He's an author. Right. An author and a writer who lives in our town. Yes. Belchertown, Massachusetts. Yes. I'm excited to talk... Um, the belchiest to town. The belchiest town of all towns. I'm excited <laughs> to talk to Jordan. Um, I reached out to him... Because I saw a story he published mm-hmm. about the Quabbin Reservoir, mm-hmm. which may or may not contain zombies. Got it. We'll talk about this with Jordan. Okay. Because um, we have um, different interpretations of this story in our household. So I want to walk that walk through that with him. Okay. All right. So we'll, uh, we'll talk to him right on the other side of the intro music. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Here we go. <laughs> Creamy, delicious ideas without the creepy truck. Stomping Jen. We're here again talking. We're going to talk to our guest, Jordan Hall. When's the album come out? Which album? (laughs) Are we going to do a compilation of all my singing intros? (laughs) Do you think that would sell? No, I don't think anybody would buy that. Um, I do have a sound, uh, what's that called? SoundCloud channel? No. And it has one single on it. No. No. With no. my alter no. ego. No. Old, uh, young, creamy sausage. No. Do we need to hear it? No, no. we do All right. not. We won't do that to no. our guest. No, uh, no. Jo- I, don't, I don't think Jordan wants to hear my rap song. No, nobody um, wants to hear it. What was that song. called, the song? <laughs> What's so merry about Christmas? <clears throat> it was a great song. Mm-hmm. Well, people, you can go find that if you're interested. Uh, Jordan, hello. Hello. Is there an apostrophe in what's? Is it what's so or what's? Oh no. What's so? I need the exact title. Uh, it's merry- it's uh yeah. There's an apostrophe. What's so merry about Christmas? What's and my so merry. My alter ego oh, is young creamy sawtooth. <laughs> Yeah, and now he's gonna direct. Now he's gonna direct link you to where you can find it available at all Sam Goodies local to you. Yeah, it's um we played it live. Um, we played it in our Christmas episode. So anyone who wants to hear it can find it there. You can find it on our SoundCloud too. Um, Perfect. Now I know. So, uh, 
how you doing? Thanks for being here. It's really uh, nice nice to have you here. Um, we we definitely like to give our guests a little space just to tell us a little bit more about themselves as we get going. So I just want to give you a oh, chance to do well, that. Oh, God, now I'm nervous, but that's fine. Uh, I work well out of fear. So um, thanks for having me. I really appreciate the, um, the nudge and the, and the hello. Yeah, this is... This is a hoot. Um, writing and and transitioning and and uh, taking stories in a different in a different direction. I've kind of been in the writing for a long time, and just now starting to get it out there and and play more with it. Thanks, pandemic, <laughs> giving me a lot of focused energy and places to put it. Um, but I was writing for a long time before that. Um, I don't know where should we start. Um, um, well, I'm, I, I, yeah, I wanted to ask you, you grew up on a uh, dairy farm in Wisconsin. Mm. Tell me a little bit about that. I grew up uh, in a family of nine, seven brothers and sisters. I am a twin and I have an older brother and sister who are a set of twins, back-to-back twins in my family. And, oh, wow. Um, I asked my father at one point why we had so many kids. No, I asked him, I asked him why we had so many cows. <laughs> and he said, we have all the cows because we have all the kids. And so immediately I was like, so if we had fewer children, there would be fewer cows. Okay, father, I read you. <laughs> and I thought he was winking at me. He wasn't. There was no foul play. But um, that's just always where my mind goes. Uh, I like to go to the weird, bad stuff that you shouldn't play with. And um, on the farm, there's a lot of that. There's death everywhere. There's um, Thickness all the time. Uh, it's brutal. It was Northwest Wisconsin. So we're talking negative 30. Uh, any given year you'll hit. Uh, and they, 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 they close the schools down when it hits negative 30 without the wind chill. They don't mess around there. You have to have real, real cold. Uh, people drive to school in their snowmobiles sometimes if they can't get there. Uh, yeah, it was rural Wisconsin. So think of it like um, lakes and rivers and trees. And uh, I grew up on a, on a dairy farm with a bunch of brothers and sisters. It was glorious. We uh, worked our tails off. Uh, grandfather was a farmer, uh, mostly farmers and teachers and nurses in the family. Um, and I uh, I wanted to a little I wanted to see a little more. So I went to college in Duluth, Minnesota, and then uh, met a bunch of great people there. And they were all full of vigor. And some of them were headed to New York, and I followed some of them. And it was a dozen, I think, from our, our college that went there and over different paths. We all went different ways. And I got into some silly theater, some downtown Dadaist theater and some uh, some group theaters and met a guy doing sketch comedy. And um, his name was Sam Reich. And we did some uh, theater together. And then he got into doing sketch comedy. And uh, we had some crazy jobs over the last co- over a couple of years in New York City. And then um, he got asked to work for College Humor to head up their originals department. And he uh, looked to me a couple months after that. He's like, I need a production manager. I need to know, we need to make movies. This, they're, they're giving me a budget to make like Internet movies before Internet movies was a thing. So 2006. Oh, wow. Uh, 2005, six. Yeah, it was before, um, um, like, um, Super Deluxe hadn't happened, um, um, Bunny or Die hadn't happened yet, like, nothing was, E-Bombs World was was the thing, so. Yeah, I remember College um, Humor, I do remember that for a while there. Yeah, and it was, it, it, we did great, like, we did a lot of fart jokes, and it was awesome, we had, <laughs> I had four great years there, and we went from 
um, an office in Chinatown to a bigger office on Union Square and then a huge fancy office on the west side and a new IAC building. IAC is the company that owns uh, a bunch of other websites. One of them was College Humor. Um, anyway, it was great. It was like National Lampoons and uh, it was everything you think uh, an internet uh, comedy company would be like. Uh, yeah, it was great. Did you but, do um, Did you do writing as part of the theater group and when you were at College Humor? No, um, it was more all that. I was a performer and director sometimes, but it was always, um, I had to get the physical stuff out. I was never patient and calm enough to sit down in a chair. Uh, That's when I really started to slow down and do that uh, and uh, um, focus myself into the page uh, and the story rather than trying to put it out on stage. That stuff, like uh, a successful play, you have to do over and over and over and over. Like a successful play you do for 10 years, the same show. I. I realized that at some point early on, I was like, I can't do that. That's not fun. Mm. Um, I need something that's more uh, engaging. Uh, and so I tried to find ways and I, I hit on writing uh, like the second or third years in New York and really started playing with it by the time I was doing college humor. And I had a, I had a novel written before. Um, yeah. By the first six months in college humor, I had the first draft of a novel written Uh I thought it was going to be published by the time I was 30 and then <laughs> movies took off and uh, the book was bad and I had to write it again. And then I uh, wanted to write a shorter thing and movies, movies, movies. And I got married and then we had a kid and now we're four years here and slowed down and got a couple of drafts of some real nice novels, but I wanted to get more smaller workout. And so I let the environment and uh, affect me and, learned about the quabbin and once you learn about the quabbin i don't know how you don't how, how does that not take over your brain for a good amount of time yeah and i'm gonna i'm, I'm gonna a- yeah i'm gonna ask you about that and for those listening mm-hmm. who may not know what jordan's referring to <laughs> stomping jen the quabbin um mm-hmm. is this gigantic reservoir um that they built out here in western massachusetts to supply water to boston mm-hmm. and there's about 150 miles between us and Boston, I think, somewhere around there. And there's a whole backstory to that we're going to get into when I asked Jordan about his one of his recent stories about Mm -hmm. how they built that. Um, But um, Jordan, I wanted to ask you Mm -hmm. just a little bit about that first novel. Is that still kicking around in some form? And do you plan to do something with it? Or have you moved on from oh that. yeah no it's uh, it's it's ridiculous the 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 things i you undertake but yes it's called phantom in the fair and it's a coming of age novel it takes place in 1904 1904 and it's um he runs away from home to like uh, find his destiny and he gets into um uh, a big kind of the underworld of the 1904 world's fair so you get to look at st louis and uh the turn of the century and it's um it's all rebuilding time in, in America. Like uh, that, that time in America is crazy out of the industrial revolution. Uh, politics are crazy. We're just getting electricity. There's no refrigeration. Like it's rough. Yeah. Um, I like to play with a lot of that stuff. Um, so that is in, um, I love, I love that one. Uh, I know what it is now. Uh, I took it to um, a highlights novel workshop, met a great woman there named Helen Hemphill and, she's mentoring me as far as she can, as far as I can allow people to, but she said, this is great. This is good stuff. I see, I see what you're doing, but you got to change the whole thing and you got to make it for 16 year olds. And I was not prepared to hear that at that point. I picked up another one uh, that I thought was a novella and I got that to the end and I gave it to people and they're like, great. 
this needs to be a novel. You need 200 more pages. I'm like, (laughs) it's interesting. We've, um, we've had a local poet on this podcast a lot of times, uh, Joshua Michael Stewart, um, who's uh, gotten quite a bit of national success. Um, And one of the things he talked about as a thing that brought him to the next level was getting a mentor, like Mm. finding a mentor and beginning to work with somebody. And what was that? Was that, why did you seek a mentor and how did that, how did that work for you when you began to do that? Like, was that, tell, tell us a little bit about that. I'm really curious. I wish I had a stronger relationship with her. I yeah. put the book down. And so I kind of put that down. That was kind of our project together. Um, so when I pick it up, I hope I can, uh, when I have written more, I've sent it to her and she's been very open. Yeah. I think uh, that, I think but, that, but yeah, go ahead. Sorry. To get to the point of the mentorship, it's crucial in so many ways. They just see things that you don't see. They know things. They've been places where you've been, where, where, where you need to go. They can't do anything for you. And they can be very frank with you about that and say, look, there's, there's one way to the end of this story and you're the only one that's going to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And once you start to realize that and be honest with yourself about that, then they can give you uh, great places to look for uh, help for revision or um, other texts to look towards for inspiration or for, pulling apart a plot. Like uh, when you get down to the nitty gritty of it and they can, you can make storytelling um, almost scientific. That's where I start to get, you know, I don't like that part. I like it to be mysterious and fun and adventurous. And when they get to the point where it's A plus B equals C. And if you want to add some D's in there, you can do that. And I don't like all that, but um, I can see where that's valuable. Yeah. And regardless, mentor can help you. As long as they understand you, they can give you the right paths that you can choose if you will. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really brave thing to do as an artist is to reach out to somebody else and be and you know, like that seek hard, seek guidance. I've tried, yeah. I've tried doing it. Did it work? No. Why not? Cause they were like, go, oh, I already did all this work. So you go figure it out. So maybe that wasn't the right mentor. For <laughs> yeah. You no, then. this, this, the, I'm not going to mention anybody, but they were not, very helpful oh, really? <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. I was like, I really like just got into this medium, and I'm really excited. And I like, you know, you you have some, you know, experience in this arena. And they were like, Yeah, go take a flying kite. No kidding. Ooh. Yeah, they were wow. not very nice. But huh. this was visual art. This is not. I'm not talking about writer. I don't know. There's a lot of kinship between. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they just weren't. Hmm. <laughs> like you said, the right person for me. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I have found a bizarrely friendly uh, uh, writer's industry kinship outside mm-hmm. of any other industry. Like in, in theater and, and performance, you can get really close to people. But I've been in film for a while and around music and uh, real estate, all different kinds of uh, marketing, like the, the the way some of these groups run themselves, like they're just so honest with each other. Mm-hmm. The way the Society of Children's Books Writers and Illustrators says hello and do the does their conferences and interacts with people, you can see you can see they really care. They care about the the for, foremost. They care about the kids that they're writing for and who all this stuff is based around. Right. Like you, you, your career is great and everybody wants to do it, but. Let's celebrate the books that have gone before us. Let's find out how they did it. Let's talk about how they affected us. And that's how we can be, that's how we can all be better writers and better communicators for the kids. Hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. And That's not so much in collage art. <laughs> oh, collage art? No. <laughs> <laughs> they don't give a shit about anybody. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. You don't say those. Yeah, not, no, there's not, no. Not the same. There's no goal the there. <laughs> there's like, I mean, art is art. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Um, Jordan, I know. Um, so you, you, You've taken a stab at a couple of novels. Those are those are continuing to develop. Some of them are percolating, and some of this other um, writing you do is in is in different styles. Um, flash fiction, mm-hmm. for example. Can you tell us a little yeah. bit about what flash fiction is? And do you consider the story I want to talk to you about next, which is called Quabbin Bobbers? Do you is that flash fiction? I kind of think it is. It's not officially. Flash is supposed to be under a thousand words. Oh, okay. It's really what kind of the going term, and they want it smaller. And if, you, if you're going to be Flash, they kind of want you like under 600, 800 is nice. But mm-hmm. like the, the, there's a very impressive uh, part of Flash, like the, there's a six-word story as part of Flash, but then people start to break it down into um, microfiction and microflash, and there's a bunch of terms that I'm not really crazy about. I was trying to write... Um, what I could write when I could write it. That's kind of why I developed. And then I realized there was a thing called flash fiction that was happening. It's like, oh, great. Friend of mine, uh, um, Chad Green, he's a professor of English in California. And he told me about this years ago. And I was like, oh, that's great. Because I, uh, in the morning, I do a 500 word free write. And then I usually have a thousand words, which is four pages or so written. That is part of the story that I'm working on. And if I'm not working on a story like a novel, then I have a thousand words just to play with. And sometimes I use that for a letter to someone um, or a, um, or just a, a short story, whatever's there. And <clears throat> so I had a bunch of these kind of uh, rolling around. And then I find out that they're useful. There's a whole market for these. There's whole magazines that are um, experimenting in flash fiction. Um, you got to spend a lot of time on one, just getting a piece of fiction that works as a story, but then Sending it to all these uh, outlets is, is a whole other second job. So I've tried to just continue to write how I write, make the stories that I'm making. Um, they all seem to do with a little bit of magic, a lot of nature and um, something with people in there. Um, and they, I like it when they're under 2000 words. I think it's very digestible. I'm trying to find out what, not the limit, of people will read, but I'm trying to find a nice happy medium. Um, I know not as many people read books. I know the people who like to read books, love reading books and will continue to read books. I'm trying to see what the, what the digital market is. So I was really trying yeah. to get um, digestible, downloadable mm. short stories. So it's like something longer than a piece of flash fiction, but shorter than what we think of as like a traditional short story. Yeah. Cause I don't want to like, like, and right. I, I was, I, I was constantly as a child, I would see a book and I, if it was bigger than my thumb, I didn't want to pick it up. Like if it was thicker, if the yeah. bind was thicker than my thumb. And if I'm into a short story, I don't want a 27 page short story. I want a short story. Yeah. I want to go somewhere. I want to be amazed and I want to go on to the next one. Um, that was just me. And so I was, I think I'm kind of writing for the 14 year old that I was. Yeah, and um, so the story um, that I read this last week, um, Quabbin Bobbers, and this is the story that um, drove me to reach out to you um, because it's about this reservoir in our in our region here, Stomping Gen, Western Massachusetts. Um, I really I really enjoyed it. It had a lot of 
like local details that that as somebody who lives in this area I really enjoyed. Can you tell us a little bit about the story to as far as you want to go? I cuz I know some people don't like to say like what a story's about particularly maybe or what it means oh, or what it should I, mean, but <laughs> uh sure. I I'll go as far well yeah, I mean we'll talk about it. It's um I it was it was an angle, it was an attempt of mine to get people um kind of through the back door or through a way they might not expect to get to, to understand about the, this area and the history of this area. Um, and I thought you could do that. I thought it was a very nice, natural way to, to imply some things or to, to, to open up conversations. Yeah. Um, uh, I can tell you a little bit like with the, where the seat came from, if that's. Yeah. I'd love to hear that. Um, Beginning of the pandemic, we were there. It was flat. My daughter was three, just learning to ride a bike. So it was perfect. It was flat and it was windy, but it was flat and it was always clear. Yeah. And, so we were and if I can interrupt real quick for people who don't know, um, this reservoir, oh, right. this Sorry. reservoir, no, it's okay. Look on a map, Google Quabbin Reservoir, pause this and go look. It's this enormous north to south running body of water. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, I think it's if you it's a couple hundred miles around at least, maybe or at least a hundred miles around. And oh yeah, it's hundreds of thousands of of uh, waters, uh, uh, um, acreage and yeah. watershed. Uh, it's what a ninety billion gallons. Like it's it's yeah. And on that that flows every day. Yeah, and on one of the eastern parts of it, there's this enormous dam called mm-hmm. Windsor Dam, and it's like a long, it's long like a quarter walk. a mile. Yeah, like a quarter mile or half a mile. I think I used to run. Yeah, I think it's like half a mile. Yeah, and it's like a long like pathway, and it's absolutely beautiful. You can just walk across it. No, people go there for dates. People bring one their- side is pure water and yep. and gorgeous forests and, and just it looks like a like pristine not no houses nothing and the other side is a gorgeous green meadow down into um, fly fishing waters and more pine trees. Yeah, and, and people. It yeah, it, it's a beautiful place. You should visit it. Um, and. Uh, people go there, they ride bikes, they run, they roller skate, they, roller skate, they do all mm-hmm. sorts of things. So I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to give people a, a um, set the scene, set the scene set for the folks. Scene. Sure. No, thank you. I appreciate yep. that. Uh, Cause the, the, the scene was very important to me and I didn't realize it until, until a couple of times. So there's a couple, there's a couple spots of the Quabbin that have uh, spurred stories. I've seen a couple sets of pros there and I've learned a lot about pros and Ravens in general. So there's another thing that um, I learned the original name of, Quabbin, the where Quabbin comes from, the Kaben, um, a place of plentiful water or something like that. Oh, I got to have the exact written down. Regardless, um, and it's in the uh, story, so go read it, people. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> the, we were there often, uh, and if you know the the Windsor Dam, there's two spots where you can park, and on um, um, the the very first spot is where the state police have a building, and there's some rangers that hang out and. Uh, we remark often that there's gull harassment zones. And I just think that's hilarious. The signs are posted and I, it's a funny term to me. And I don't know if people notice, but there's also um, uh, the gull harassment is so birds don't poop in the water. So they don't have to clean more poop out of the water before they, before people drink it. Um, there's also uh, some, uh, some fake dogs that are set out around or wolf yeah. or something. Anyways, it's all to, to alarm the birds. We're there uh, the 15th time in May. And I remark at a bird or a falcon or an eagle and a, uh, a ranger just starts to tell me the stories. Like, yeah, we used to have a camera and the camera 
well, was taken down because someone's cat got in there. And I thought that was so charming and I couldn't stop <laughs> thinking about it. And then I learned more about the Swift River and how it was dammed and what was going on. And, and just what if, what if, what if, what if someone really held on? What if someone didn't want to give up their property? What if somebody from Dana or Enfield or Prescott just held on? And a ridiculous idea. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong, but uh, what if? Uh, and I was just sure. I'm like, oh, my God, of course. And when I start reading, of course, there's bodies down there. Yeah. Yes, they got all the people from all the graves they knew about. But they say on the if you look at the, the Quabbin Park Cemetery, the new cemetery where they exhumed most of the bodies to, they say right on their site, they're like, we got all the white people we know about. Oh, but uh, there's a lot of nipmuc over there and yeah. we're just not sure. So, yeah. And also, just to go rewind a little bit, so the Quabbin was created. It's a man-built Quabbin yes. reservoir. Yes. They flooded four towns mm-hmm. to build this drinking water supply for Boston. Yeah. And they- Boston. Go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. Uh, I just, when I, reading all this, I didn't realize Boston had been thirsty since its inception. Like, Boston hadn't had the right water- they had a thing and then they sucked it up and they had another one and they, they had been looking for real water for a long time. And it was a combination of people from the East knowing about the cool fly fishing spots that nobody knew about. And uh, those four towns in that Valley, there really trying farming for a couple of hundred years. Didn't really work out. And Hadley was much better as it turned out for farming in other places. So a lot of their industry wasn't working and it was a perfect combination of, of, uh, a place that was industrially uh, declining mm-hmm. and then had very little influence and power and a lot of upsides to a lot of people in power. And like, I would, I kind of want to know more about the goings on in the twenties and thirties. Cause people were looking at this thing for a long time. Yeah. I have literally never thought about it from that perspective. Yeah. You have just like opened my eyes there about so many different things in this short. Yeah. And when they created this reservoir, they said to the people like, get out. They paid a bunch of them off. And like Jordan saying, like, what if some people refused to leave? And they, probably there were some people who were left down there when they started flooding. The, and what I learned from your story and I wanted to ask you about this, like if if you researched this or if you were taking um, uh, liberties as a as a writer, is it like they slowly flooded the reservoir, like they turned it into a marsh first, and then kind of like a shallow like shallow ponds, and then they made it a bigger. At least that's what I read from the story. Like it was a slow mm-hmm. process of of converting it into to a reservoir. I, that's what I took from the story. I know nothing Only about it. Do, it not, 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 not as a malicious attempt. It yeah. was, it took that long for the dam and uh, the, the, for the Windsor dam and the Goodnow Dyke, which is almost identical. Yeah. Uh, to take effect it, to, to, to fill the whole thing. I think it took seven or eight years. Wow. I think it was filled uh, with the law passed in 2029. The, the Swift River Act passed, and then it took a couple of years to pay everybody off, move everything, take all the buildings down. Um, like, there, there's some stupid stuff that happened. Like, people were, were getting pushed out of um, homes that they had their entire uh, lives or their families had homesteaded, 
And on the other side, there were uh, opportunists coming in and buying land, thinking, oh, the government's going to have to pay me at some point to leave. No way. Yes. I never thought there was a couple dudes that. just hanging on to stuff and just holding out because they knew if they held out longer, because they have to have this water, they yeah. have to have it. So if I just say no and just say no and just keep saying no for two years, fine, you're going to get a bunch more money. And you're, but you're going to be that guy or that person that does that. That's amazing. The amount to me. of money they spent, crazy. It's crazy. But and like it's Boston's drinking. Like literally, <laughs> I don't know why I'm so stupid about this. Like in my head, they built like the dam and whatever. Yeah. And it was like, you know, you fill a pool. <laughs> <laughs> they put a hose. And like all of a sudden, like it just, Ready was, they were like, you have to get out of town now. The water's gone. <laughs> we turned the hose on. <laughs> they just turned on. Yeah. Don't you? <laughs> oh my God. You know God. what I mean? Yeah. Like I had no idea. It took like seven to eight years to <laughs> <laughs> they had to dig out almost 7,000 bodies. There was only 2,500 live people in those four towns. They dug out almost 7,000 bodies. Oh, my God. Yeah, and you're, and um, to take it back to your story, your story kind of deals with what if some people didn't leave, right? And yeah. what if... Mm-hmm. What if they persisted somehow? Like, yeah. and, and that, and that's how our fourteen-year-old took the story. I think um, he read it. He read it today, today, and you know his his perception of the story was: well, these people were down there, uh, willing themselves to be alive under the water yeah. and just hanging on. Oh, he got it right. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So, so that, he says they're alive and not zombie. Um, and it's their will that's keeping them alive. I think. I mean, I think he, in his mind, it didn't matter what we called them. They were just like right. They they entities. were they were entities. They were still alive, hanging on under the water. And mm, okay, interesting terms there. I was reluctant to say zombie because I don't. But that it's, it's the closest thing to a zombie. Yeah, it was the most hopeful zombie I thought I could conjure. If you can call, I think it's hopeful. I, I honestly do think it's, it's powerfully hopeful. What I what the Ides brothers had done. Ah, uh, the fourteen year old might be on. Yeah, that's kind of where I was. Yeah, and yeah, and so, you, yeah, and that was just his interpretation. So, and, and <laughs> sorry, I got into a little thing with him. I was like, no, I said it was just they were just bodies, and an arm broke off and floated up, and he was like, oh no, no, and so it was just we had a really nice debate about about it yeah really nice debate about the story and what you know what you what you had intended and maybe what it meant and um so did you have to do a lot of historical research to write the story like how much time did you spend researching these details because there's so many details in there um most of the like the good details came in corrected later the story uh we visited a couple times and the story probably came out in in two mornings and then i had to edit it a couple times and then I needed I needed the details. I needed to make sure I had the cities right. I needed to make sure I had these references. I didn't want to overdo a bunch of stuff. I took a bunch of stuff out. I had way too many details as far as finger wagging and and what I thought could have happened. And um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you find that you can you can do a lot with a lot. You can do more with 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 less. less. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just I will share another element of the story I really enjoyed was the story starts off um, about this um, park ranger sort of um, and they have this um, falcon cam so they watch the falcons in the nests and one of them 
one of them brings a cat in. Right. Right. And there's a whole there's a whole little thread in there about how the internet goes crazy because the that, footage of the, the falcon destroying right, the cat. Right. And a bunch of yeah. a bunch of people want to want to ban the camera um, because it showed yeah. a cat being eaten. And they want to ban the falcons. I just thought that was really funny. I, I kind of liked that. Um, commentary on uh, objection culture. Like I thought it was really, it was funny. I laughed. Yeah. Thank you. I try to be, I don't know. I don't want to say topical, but it felt, it felt appropriate. It felt like this, it felt like something someone would feel they have to say. And I, my grandmother, like if she saw a cat getting ripped apart on the Falcon cam, she would definitely have the time to write someone about that. Well, it's yeah, so just like just from it's like I was reading some of your other works too, and it's like your your writing style is like a hit and run, like you like dump mm-hmm. right into the story, and then like all of a sudden you're out, right? Like I don't know if that's flash fiction or if that's yeah. like what flash fiction is supposed to be, but just yeah. like when 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 you were just saying Satyuth about like how the you know you're reading the story about the Quabbin and you starts with this whole thing about the 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 Falcon and the cat, and yeah. then like all of a sudden it's about these entities holding on at the bottom of yeah. the reservoir, right? Like, so like it goes in a direction you don't expect. Yeah. I do like to zigzag a lot and I can't, I've, I've so many times I've tried to write a straight story and then magic or something pops in. Like I didn't want to do that. That's not what this was. I got six chapters into a lumberjack story. I thought I was writing a, like a, a, a good <laughs> solid, just follow lumberjacks through the winter. And like December pops up and there's the Baycock. I don't know if you know what the Baycock is. It's a Ojibwe. It's a giant seven foot translucent skeleton that floats through the forest and no. these hunters. Never heard of it's this terrifying. before. The what? Um, so I, anyway, uh, now the story came about that. It's like, the, yeah. So a, a lumberjack sees a Baycock and then I have to, anyway, that's a whole different thing. But Did you publish yeah, that? Wait, wait, what is this no. word? Bake? B-A-Y-K-O-K. Get your mind out of the get your mind out of the gutter, stomping Jen. Please, this is a this is a serious interview. I'll send you. I'll send you a a link. All right. Wait. Sorry. Are we still talking about the Quabbin story? Um, you got you got me derailed. I was um. Well, because I did a hit and run there. I did a hit and run. Well, because there's a the. The other story that you wrote, I don't know if you read it, Sawtooth. Which um, are you referring to? The barn. Oh, the Christmas barn? The Christmas barn. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. That's a good one. It's like a joke. Like, I don't mean, yeah. I don't mean, I mean, it's like, you're like going along and you're like, and then that's like the punchline is at the end. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. It was, did you oh, you did? Great. Yeah. No, Thank I totally you. loved it. I don't mean a joke like it's like, you know, bad or like yeah. whatever. Like, it was just like unexpected like it took like, this weird unexpected all of a sudden like turn so yeah. my there are there are people in my family who say that is not a hol- that is not holiday fair because it's not it's not nice it's not it's not hopeful um and i said well that's not the animals made it that way that's not what the like it's up to them and also everybody got what they wanted right didn't they yeah so I want to ask you about that. Um, mm-hmm. The lumberjack stories. You're right. Is you going along writing about these lumberjacks, and all of a mm-hmm. sudden there's a baycock. <laughs> 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 then, 
then you're 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 writing this story, this Christmas story, and then these 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 animals that you're writing about are driving the direction. Um, tell me about that feeling when you're writing, and all of a sudden something comes in and just takes it in a different direction. Is that a muse? Is that a like being? What is that? Sometimes I'm ready for it. Sometimes I'm expecting it. Um, usually I kind of know it's there's something's around the corner. Um, I don't, I'll set myself up. Like I know I'll go into a chapter and I know two characters have to talk. Um, and I don't know what's going to happen. Like the other week I didn't, uh, I got the end. I got the end. I got to the, the, basically the climax of, um, the novella that I was telling you about. This one's about uh, the history of garbage in New York city as told through the eyes of pigs. And I didn't expect a really cool thing to happen. There was a very nice parting of ways and I'm not going to give anything away, but I was shocked that this is how it happened. And this is how it is right now. It might change again. Um, uh, but to explain it, um, do you feel like you're channeling something or did you think it's just your, do you think it's just your imagination? It's, it's kind of both. You have to, you have to get out of the way of it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, it's not me. Yeah. It's all of us. It's it. It's whatever it is. Like it's, uh, getting out of the way of everything. And it usually happens for a little bit. I can usually get into it somewhere in the thousand words. Uh, or if you're really impassioned about something and you really can like see it and feel it and have the whole thing and, and just be the the idea instead of what you want the idea to be or what you think people are going to see the idea as, if you can just be the idea and cross out all the other words, that's what I'm listening for. I'm usually listening for the wrong thing. Um, I say a lot in my head, um, but when you're when the pen is on the page, it's a whole different thing. And that has helped a lot as far as um, how I write. Um, because you, because it's physical and it's, and you have to be deliberate and you have to move your hand for every word. And that's part of it. And there is kind of a flow that you get into same with, um, uh, physical and in yeah. your head. Um, but writing I've found is a muscle just like running or anything. You just have to work it. And, uh, you have to combine that with the, the story and structure and where you are. It's yeah. in, in some ways it's a muscle. Yeah, You can't just, you can't just write and expect it to happen and you hear I, I mean i've heard other writers say this too you know and it's interesting that i hear you saying like you're listening like you're you know you're almost um bringing something in you're 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 processing something from out there and bringing it in and putting it on the page whatever what, certainly when it's dialogue yeah. yeah do you write by hand do you actually write with a pen or do you use a word processing no, no, everything is written in notebooks first. Uh, huh. I got a bunch of this. Everything is that. written longhand first, and then I dictate. Jordan just held first. up. Jordan just held up a um a notebook oh, that, in, that yeah. indeed had a bunch of like writing in it. I can. I'll show you the box. Uh, I wish it was another way in some ways, but um, I've actually come to accept that this is a very nice way. Yeah. I didn't want to always be beholden to electricity. I didn't want to turn on a screen first thing in the morning, uh, and this is the first thing I do every day. So I didn't want to have that. Because there's a lot of distractions and you're going to click on something yeah. you don't want to. Uh, mm-hmm. So if I just keep the notebook and the pen, the first thing that I do, it's much, even I try not to pick up the, like the, the calendar book. I try to keep that closed too. Yeah. Do you I have a favorite, um, do you have a favorite pen and a favorite type yes. of notebook? 
I exclusive, not exclusive, but the 201. The uh, this is the Uniball 207. Oh, I love that fucking pen. I think it's Stomping the best quick pen. It's the like it's just yeah. There's some maybe some other pens are better that you pull off and do that thing, but as far as quick pen and needing to have a thing, yeah, I keep two of these in my pocket. Um, nice. Mostly moleskin. Uh, I've been doing them for a long time. I think their paper quality has gone down uh, over the past couple of years, and there's some real fine makers coming up. Um, um, materialism art I found out of uh, San Francisco. That's a great notebook, but it's a little too stocky. I don't need. Yeah. I don't need too much stock in the paper. So after and the, the, the lines are too thick. So after you write in the notebook, and it um, at some point, then you transfer it into an electronic form. Yeah, the, the the great schedule when I'm really doing it right is the 500 word warm up, a thousand words of whatever you're doing, and stop after a thousand is a weird thing I've read. Stop when you stop when you know what's going to happen next. I know huh. it's weird, right? Because then when you come back to it, you read on and go. Um, but if uh, so, the real schedule and then uh, somewhere in that day, dictate it and make sure it's edited and make sure all the quotations are in. Because the dictation that I do, it doesn't do the punctuation very well, certainly not quotation marks, the dialogue is there. So it's like a threefold process just to get a workable digital. And then I go on from there. But I think I do pretty good first drafts. I think I'm. I think because of the way I, I've had to do it, I and I try to block out so much. I'm, I, I'm not. I don't fiddle around so much with the drafts. Does dictating it change at all? For what you're, what you've written, like do when you, yeah. what, when you hear you when you hear yourself say it. I would imagine that's especially the case with dialogue. Like definitely. It, yeah, I've, you, 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 many times you hear if you got it right, or if you hear like, oh, I know that's going to change. Yeah, an asterisk right there. Sometimes I knew on the page when I wrote it that this is kind of a something's going to go here, and you can sometimes get that when you're dictating it. Sometimes you get, oh, there it is, and I got that. And then I, you're moving on. I'm like fascinated. Are you fascinated by this? Well, I'm fascinated, number one, by the discipline. Yeah. And the like, uh, like, I I hate writing. I've but decided. <laughs> I wish I could call it discipline. I go crazy if I don't do like, this. That I turn into a is different true thing. artistry. Like that. Yeah. I'm, um, I've heard, I've heard enough writers and I've read enough writers talking about the need for, um, the routine and having to do the act of writing where I get that I'm really fascinated by this process of doing it by hand in a notebook, then speaking it into the computer, then working that like that is, that's really interesting to me. It's I not what that's I, why I'm doing shorter work because it's yeah. doing, it takes forever to do a novel and then to uh-huh. redo a novel. Like it takes so long. So wait, did you yeah. always write? Because you said you uh, weren't. No, my mid twenties, probably mid twenties, twenty five. I probably started being real serious about it. But like I you played. Yeah, I was gonna say you must have written before. Like you must have had. No, I was in theater. I didn't really tab. No, uh, I would crank out. I could. I could crush a paper here and there. Yeah. But I was never really asked to do real like hard. No, and I was. Do, I, I would always wait to the last minute and let the pressure just mm. let some let a little crystal come out. Like That's it was, so it was an awful way to do it. That's nuts. Yeah. So I want, I knew I needed to find something that I could be impassioned about enough that I could work on when I was focused and all this bizarre history and the weird kind of sci-fi seemed to be the only thing that excited me enough 
to, to pay attention long enough to make something that I will enjoy and hopefully other people will too. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. So then when you get, when you get it into the computer and you start working the drafts, how mm-hmm. many, how many drafts do you go through at that point? Do you go through a whole bunch? Uh, eight probably. Oh uh, so Christmas God. barn probably went through, I mean, so I'll go through and go through and go through it like over a week. And that's got that kind of sit a draft and then I'll yeah. sit it and then I'll go back. And sometimes you need a month or two to sit on things. Um, Christmas barn. I knew I wanted to do a Fox story and, um, uh, I just had to kind of sit and crank out a bunch of stuff last December, a year ago, December, I sat and I, I picked 30 stories. I was going to do one a day and I got 15 done. So I did kind of one every two days. So I got through a bunch and I used those to kind of kick off the Patreon earlier this year. And I've been slowly putting that on Patreon and up through vocal and yeah. And then sending out as much as you can, but with the way the magazines are, if you publish it digitally, it's no good for any other prints. So I oh, got to try to sleep. Yeah, if I put it on Patreon, no one else. There's a few other places that'll be simultaneous, but that's the first that's published if you put it on Patreon. Any kind of platform where it's digital is pretty much considered mm-hmm. published. Yeah, and I just want to pause and let people know um, there's a, a whole bunch of links in the show notes for you to be able to go check out um, Jordan's stuff. Um, Jordan has a like a main website. Um, he's got some places where some of his work appears. Um, I've got a link to his Facebook page, his Instagram, his Twitter, and his and his Patreon. So um, go check out all of this stuff. There's a lot of stuff to dive into if you want to learn more about Jordan and read some of his work. But it's all going to be in the show notes. So uh, make sure you go cool. check that stuff out, um, folks, as you're listening to this. Um, a lot of good, weird stuff all over the map. Yeah, I want to ask, um, I just want to go back to when you started to get serious about writing. And I'm sorry if you already answered this for us, but what no, what good. what was that thing that you said, I need to write about this that made you get serious about writing? Well, do you remember? Was there a, a, a thing that made you sit down in the seat and start writing? Um, to really sit down, it took a long time. I remember the first time when I thought writing would be cool. I saw my older sister in a play. I was probably in kindergarten or so, and she would have been two or three years ahead of me, like a cool third grader. Maybe I was in third and they were in fifth. Anyway, the play was astounding. It was probably very simple. It was like a retelling of some fairy tales, but they did it silly. And I knew the people on stage. It was my sister and her friends. And I had such a great connection with that. I was like, oh, I, we got it. <laughs> so I tried to write a play. So I tried to write the exact play that they did, got bored with that, and then kind of stopped writing for the next 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, um there was a bunch of story songs. I got into Harry Chapin in high school and just loved his story song kind of way and really connected with some English teachers and um, other friends in high school with these things on long drives. And uh, and someplace in New York, um, some said, hey, you could, you could probably, you should be a writer because writing, you know, you have very specific upbringing and you, you have an artistic bend and maybe, yeah, you, anybody can write. It's like, no way. But like, yes, anyone can write. You just have to do it a bunch. You have to do it like you're running, do it like you're lifting weights. So I'm like, okay, whatever. I'll just, I'll just do that. We did a couple free rides uh, with friends and then I started doing it in the morning and I'm like, Oh, okay. And then um, I 
read about a writer who a friend of mine was into. And I'm like, okay, do what he does. And he wrote first thing in the morning. He said it was great. Uh, he's kind of in dream state. And before he touches anything, he just does that. And, and I was on the road a bunch when I was in New York. I was doing, uh, when I got to New York, I went to do um, uh, some traveling production for Court TV. So I traveled the country a couple of times. And so we always had, I always had time in the mornings before the stuff had to happen. So that's when I did the stuff. Did, um, I want to ask you about this. So you, you, mm-hmm. you grew up on a farm in Northern Wisconsin, and then you went to the biggest, craziest city on the yeah. planet. What was that like for you? <laughs> it was great. It was yeah. silly. Um, but with, yeah, it didn't, it felt fine. The whole thing felt fine. I think now that I'm out of it, I'm like, wow, that was dumb. Dumb. <laughs> Crazy. Dumb. But just to, to, to not take it serious. Cause I was like, whatever, it's New York. Whatever. I've been to Minneapolis. I've been to Chicago. I've been to all these, whatever. It's New York. Whatever, yeah. but it's like it's New York City. There's a lot of it, and it goes on, and there's a lot of people there that you don't know. Yeah, the bun- millions of people that come into that town every day. And that place, I mean, I've said I have very few regrets in my life, and I've said this to Stomping Jen. Like, I kind of wish we had lived there. I know Stomping Jen oh, wanted there's no to. No way we would have lived there. Well, I'm just saying. But any time I've ever been there, that place like pulsates with this energy. Like it's yeah. like it is. Like it's alive. There's like yeah. something happening there, and like I, you so just true. feel it. It's so weird and that that you you start to put your hand on that, and then that gets you through any bad time, any downtime. Like I will live in a railroad apartment with four other people and have bed bugs twice a year. Fine, no problem. <laughs> you you you. At least I did. Yeah. Um, and I think when artists and musicians and and people of a creative nature get together, they just start feeding off each other and. We were making some great stuff. We felt really good about our work. And then later on, I was helping with production companies and watching friends grow their businesses and make studios and an attempt at making beer and, and really put their stamp on stuff. And other friends making production companies that um, make commercials and all the kids from College Humor going off to write on all the shows, you know, on John Oliver and SNL and Samantha B. Like, they're everywhere. So that 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 kind of pulsing that you're talking about was fantastic. Um, uh, and I, I guess I just didn't see so much of the other. I think that, that, that felt so protective. The people around you were making good stuff. People are responding to it. So I didn't have a, not that I didn't have a care in the world, but um, the, the city didn't feel so big because we knew mm-hmm. people. We yeah. recognized people on the street. And then we were familiar with so many places that we had been to film at. It felt like your town after a while. Do you keep in touch with a bunch of those people? Oh, yeah. Or? I still have some people there. Yeah. Windmill Studios making people. Uh, art class content. I think we moved to L.A. now. And the college humor kids are now dropout. They're all mostly in L.A. But, uh, yeah, I got a number. Elephant Film still there, too. My man, Ivan. Everyone is. Nice. Everyone, everyone cool. loves it. They all want to get out, though. They all kind of want to get out. So we just how did, how did you land here in Belcher Town? Yeah, so for people who don't know, this this town we live in in western Massachusetts, mm-hmm. it's you know, it's um it's out not, there. It's out there and it's not much it's, out it, there. it's on the eastern side of the Pioneer Valley. It's you know, pretty, you know, it's almost in the mountains sort of. It's wooded. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there's not a lot of stuff here. No. But there's woods. Not. Yeah. So how'd you end up here? 
woods and uh, ticks and poison ivy <laughs> and affordable housing. Yeah, um, us too. My wife is from Amherst. She did okay. high school there and her mother's there. And so we had a child and we were looking for a little extra support because we were both trying to be professionals. Um, Kate is an Alexander instructor and uh, uh, teaches dance as well at a number of institutions at the Center Dance in Amherst and at this uh, um, Center for School for I'm gonna I'm missing school for contemporary dance and thought. Um, ah, yes. Um, she does a couple of very interesting things. Anyway, so we we needed some extra support. Yeah. Um, their Mimi and Grandpa were out here. She has other family in Rhode Island, so this was kind of a good area. Uh, Amherst is expensive, and yes. uh, we found a great house, a great opportunity in Belchertown, and we jumped on it. We lived in Hadley for a year, mm-hmm. uh, but Belchertown is where we landed. So Nice. Nice. Ta-da. And so where do you, where, how do you draw that creative energy now that you're in, in out in the woods in quiet, in quiet little Belchertown? Where do you, where do you find the energy and the inspiration to sit down and do the writing? And, you know, is it, is it just different than that energy from New York? Is it? And, and oh, it very much is. And the energy from New York by the end, like you're, whew, there's a lot of sirens in the morning. There's a lot of lost sleep, a lot of dump trucks. There's a lot of just things that get at you. And that doesn't happen here. So the rest has been so much better. The quality of life is so much different yeah. and so much more fulfilling. Like you just have, I had a whole different, not an awakening, but like you got time. You have time to do stuff. You can really dig into things now. Uh, was was my attitude. Um, and now I just have so many things on my plate. I have so many things that I, I want to get done. I have a short, I have a collection of short stories that needs to be ready. Um, it was supposed to be done in February. It's not going to be. So that's pushed back for a couple months. But yeah, I want to have a physical book that out there. Then more books. And yeah, there's, the, there's a bunch of ways that I think um, this can happen. But I don't know. Here we are. Do you, um, do you have favorite writers? Who do you read? Probably Gaiman is the one I read the most or oh. have read the most of like sci-fi or speculative. Um, what is speculative fiction? I, um, I saw that description on your website and I wasn't sure what it is. I could have Googled, I could have Googled sci-fi. it. But, yeah. uh, it's just soft sci-fi. Speculative is just not, not regular fiction is, is what you should know from that. And it's not sci-fi, but you can't call it regular fiction because there's an element of that's, and it's not magic realism. It's not like speculative fantasy. To me. It's not. Yeah. Speculative to me is there's going to be a hint of something odd. Okay. But I uh, I don't play all the way with fantasy. Like, well, if, if I'm going to write a fantasy, you know, there's like there's a whole world building. But I'm not crazy about um, fairies and and stuff like that. I like a I like a little bit of magic in the real world. I like you to be in the real world and kind of be. Hmm, is that how did that? Okay. Is that yeah. That's where I like to play. Well, do you have a favorite piece by Neil Gaiman? Oh, I think American Gods is superb. That's a good um, but if you read one P, um, uh, Cemetery, the Cemetery book. Oh, oh, sorry, Graveyard book. Oh, the Graveyard book. Is that the yeah, one? Yeah. Graveyard book. Yeah. Uh, I, that's probably the first one I read. I like the ocean. Um, there is a cat, there is a short cat story. Uh, I can't remember the name. He's got a couple books of short stories, and there's a yeah. great short story about a cat. A hero one about a cat, and so did uh, Lovecraft. I don't know if you've read um, uh, H.P. Lovecraft 
So he's like the godfather of yeah, some sure. of this. Yeah. Anyway, um, but I'm trying to write a cat stuff, but his cat thing is about uh, this cat and his no- Neil Gaiman's notion is that if, if a cat comes upon you astray and then you don't know what it's there for, it's there for a reason to mm-hmm. protect you because you can't see the thing. And mm-hmm. Basically, oh. this cat fights the devil on his porch. and it's, it's That's cool. Oh, that's awesome. I want to read this now. Yeah. <clears throat> My favorite is uh, the ocean at the end of the lane. I haven't done that one. Is what? That- I'll let you no, borrow see- it. Yes, please. <laughs> have you that. done all of it? Have you done the um, Anansi Boys? Uh, I don't think I've read that. No. I mean, I started with Sandman and then, you know, like I have some of his short oh, story books. Dude, and, I went through yeah. the Sandman. Yeah. Thank God for the uh, the uh, the Jones Library. They had every single one of the Sandman and probably two years before. This is pre-pandemic. But mm-hmm. I would just get one and eat it up in a couple of days. And, uh, yeah. What do you, you really um, see his early stuff? But you really see him early and then what, how he does the later stuff. He was yeah. into the myths. Right? Yeah. Um, what do you like about Neil Gaiman? Is there something in particular that draws you to his writing? Have you thought about that? Or hmm. No, I haven't. I know he's got some snark there that I like. Uh, it feels pretty witty. Um, the opening line from the, the cemetery, the graveyard book, the one, um, his use of Jack and the, the Jacks is the kind of whole people or an entity all these did um, um and uh yeah i don't think he's got some great worlds i think it was when mm-hmm. i realized all these worlds that i enjoyed were all his i'm like oh <laughs> you have and then people tell me about good omens and i like mm-hmm. terry pratchett but i don't know much of that world I'm like oh well then i you're good yeah so i should I need to know more about you because you are of this level. So, and I want to do, I'm in the world where you are. And uh, some of the best advice from these conferences I go to this, oh, Jennifer Longbridge, she had the best advice. She's like, if you want, you want to be in this business, stop what you're doing and read 50 books from the past five years. That's what you do. That's your homework. Don't do anything else. Yeah. When you read those 50 books, when you're done, then you'll be ready to write the next great book because you'll know where the conversation is right mm-hmm. now. That kind of blew my mind open too. Yeah, like, I'm not yeah. reading enough. Oh, yeah, that's a challenge. Reading yeah. enough. Reading enough is very hard. I love. Re- I, I used to love reading, and now sometimes it's just like unless yeah. I get a good book in my hands, it's a chore. Same. Yeah. yeah. Same. I'm. I picked up a bunch of books, and I feel bad for putting them back down. And I really, I really wanted to, but yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um. Do you think? about writers and writing differently now that you've committed yourself to this, this practice kind of more seriously? Oh yeah. Uh, absolutely. People who, who say they're a writer, uh, and I, and like, if we have a conversation, I think there's a lot of people who say they're a writer who aren't a writer. They're like, yeah, they may write, but if you call yourself a writer, like you, you're in it. And the people who write for papers and write on deadline, that's a whole different understanding for me. And the people who do this and crank out book after book after book after book, like I don't, I don't understand how James Patterson does stuff yeah. like that. I don't. Oh, who's the young woman who's writing the the Bear and the Nightingale? Um, You're looking at me. A, Why are you looking at me? I don't even know. Uh, I'm only looking at you because you read more than me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bear and the Nightingale and the two others. It's it's Russian folklore, but told. Uh, yeah. Anyway, she's great. I can't think of her name. There's a V. There's a V in there. Anyway, she's gone through five or six books recently, like over the past six years. Like, yeah. And Jason Reynolds' output, like Jason Reynolds would do two books a year. That's crazy. It's, yeah. 
like, and I don't know how you keep that up, but that's kind of, it's kind of where publishing, publishing is crazy. Like you don't get much from a book and you don't want, you don't want to sign a big book, like new authors. I don't want to sign, like, you don't want to sign a crazy deal. You sign a big deal when you're a first author and it doesn't sell, then you're never going to get another one. Then you're finished. Yeah. Pretty much. That's not, but I'm, I'm hopefully I'm building it a different way is my goal. Um, I saw that. And I didn't like that idea. So I thought might as well have your own um, entities. You should have some physical entities that when people see your first novel come out, why don't you have another book that they can also buy that you get the proceeds from? So, so that's where I'm going to make a collection of these short stories that I'm doing. I was just going to do them digitally and have them digitally available, but um, there's a small publisher in Amherst Mm. Hombre house and they're like, Hey, how about we do a book? I'm like, okay, great. Yeah. Stories. And as shitty and evil as social media and the internet can be, it's also democratized a lot of the creative process, right? Like there's so many artists now who don't get pushed down or squashed by gatekeepers, like publishers, editors, agents who can just put their shit out there and find their own fan base, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like I'm... Uh, one of an author I used to read quite a bit of is this guy named uh, Hugh Howey. He wrote a series called Wool. It's like more hardcore science fiction. Um, but he started They're making it into a movie. They are. They're a TV show, I nice. think. Yeah. Uh, but he started by um, just completely self-publishing and doing a blog. And you know, he's become like this incredibly successful author, and he now he's sails around the world on a sailboat and he like <laughs> updates his little blog about where he's at with his current book and but he you know and he taught he's talked a lot about this like people told him no like all along the way you know and but mm-hmm. he he got this huge following and he's he supports himself doing what he loves like that's so amazing to me mm-hmm. um and i think yeah you can yeah go you ahead can find a niche you can find a niche now uh if you're savvy enough if you're if you're savvy enough to to write a book and make it coherent that other people can read, I hope you're savvy enough to get it in people's hands. Like it feels like you've done so much work. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you've done, you've done the hard part. Just find a group of people who are into it. I know it's sorry. It sounds so easy. Yeah. No. Um, do you, have you had um, an opportunity to do much interacting with your readers and What's that like for you? Um, no, that's a great question. No, not really. Uh, outside of the people who I know and who have like slapped me on the back and said, hey, this is good. Um, a few people have reached out who I don't know and said, hey, I like this. That's very nice to see. Um, but yeah, when people publish it, like someone who really sees validity in it. Yeah. Awesome. So I've gotten some fantastic feedback, honestly, from it's probably the best has been from uh, people who said no to me publishers or magazines who said, Hey, this is great. This is not what we wanted right now, but we like this and this and this, and this maybe not so much. Hmm. So that feedback has been very valuable. Yeah. Do you submit to a lot of publications? Um, some of the poets we've had on here, like they submit hundreds mm-hmm. of pe- you know, hunt pieces a year. I'm just curious if, the, if you're, what your pay, what, if you do submit work to a lot of, um, um, like magazines or whatever, and what that pace is like for you. Yeah, I'm trying to do more periodic stuff. I have uh, three or four that I was trying to push now. I have um, uh, an essay I'm calling Big Red. Uh, it's about when I grew uh, Wisconsin's largest pig. True story, but kind <laughs> of that whole process. Um, so I'm trying to get that. I would love, I feel that is a 
is a good look into farming. And some of my nonfiction stuff does, it kind of pulls the same levers, I think, because I deal with straight up how death is on the farm and what happens sometimes on the farm in that one. Um, so I'd like that one to get published because I feel it has, I feel it should be seen by more people. I'm, I'm, I'm cagey about some stuff because I don't want to just throw it out there and just say, oh yeah, self-published. Yep. Look at this. I want other people to say, oh, this was chosen by a periodical that does this stuff. Then that, that's why you should look at that. So mm-hmm. um, some of the stuff I'm being really picky about. Yeah. But most, yeah, a lot of it, no, I just want it out there. I want people to read it because I think they enjoy it. How, um, you mentioned, you mentioned, um, your wife, you mentioned, I think you mentioned you have a, a child. How is having, a fi- how, how is having a family changed you as a writer? Ooh, wow. I think about things I never would have thought about. I have to get out of bed. Uh, I have <laughs> to true. go do my stuff. Um, I honestly, now this is what it is. So the schedule is, I never thought I'd get up at 5 a.m., but now I get up at 5 a.m. because Hazel gets up at 6.30 or 6.15. So if I want an hour to myself uninterrupted, that's on me. Yeah. And I can my time, but then I turn into a different person. I don't want, I don't want to do that. So I get up at 5 now and I do as much as I can before anyone else gets up. And sometimes they even sleep till 7. <laughs> I really envy you. I can whatever that gene is. I what, cannot. Get up I cannot get out of bed to do stuff. That's not true. It isn't. Mm. What have our I ever? Kids got? are older. We used to get up early. Oh well, that's true. <laughs> now our kids sleep later than we we do. Yeah. Like we would sleep forever. Yeah. Um, well, I have to be at work at seven now. So if I if I'm not done, yeah. and If I don't have that stuff, that then I'm then I'm thinking about it all day at work, and I'm mm. itchy, and I don't. Then I yeah. then everything gets pushed back. Yeah. Do you tell um, the people you work with and like other people in your life know that you write? Is that something you share openly? Yeah, the people at Sound, Soundscape do. And I uh, have a part-time job writing blogs for Hamlin Notebooks and doing their social media content. Oh, cool. Um, and they they hired me because they actually, actually, Jen, because she read Christmas Barn. Ah. No kidding. She I'm read gonna... other stuff. She had read other stuff, but she read Christmas Barn. She's like, oh, just do this and do it for my notebooks. Yeah. Okay. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. I can. Yeah. I'm going to give you one of these for your story, getting you um, a gig. (laughs) 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 Have to throw that out there. Thank you. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, Yes. I wanted to ask you about, and you've talked, you've already talked to us a little bit about this, but your, your, your interest in untold history, right? The things Mm. we don't know about, like you were just saying, there's stuff you know, growing up on a farm that I know that I think the rest of the, the the country needs to know or the world needs to know, like, um, tell us just a little bit more about that. I guess maybe your fascination with history and like trying to dig for the stuff that, you know, a lot of us may not know about. I, yeah, I, maybe it's because it's right under your feet so many times and you don't realize it. Or uh, something, I really like the notion of uh, turning things on their head based on uh, a a misperceived notion. Um, Case in point, uh, Central Park in New York City, you're like, oh, this has always been here. This is beautiful and it's always been here and it's probably just been just like this and the city was built around it. It's kind of my idea. Not at Mm -mm. all how that went down. Do you know there's 
definitely people buried in Central Park. They tried to exhume all the bodies, but there was, uh, you got to look up Seneca Village. Seneca Village was a group of probably the most diverse, definitely the first like proper black run, black focused, black heavy majority neighborhood um, north uh, in, in the town. The bottom of the island where all the poor people were was too full. They started renting out places at churches to bury their dead. And before 1840, 1848, whenever the park got built, 1820s this was, they started, sure, yeah, you can bury people up here. And then slowly the church built up there. And then the people followed the church and a little neighborhood grew around it and Seneca Village grew out. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea. I had been there when I saw these big old rocks from the old, old reservoir. So I want to know what those old reservoir was. And so I find the rest of the history and then you find out about other things and you're like, oh, well, yeah, I think people should know about this. This is crazy. There's people down there. Mm -hmm. This is a park. Anyway, um, that's it. And I I keep bumping into these things and, and maybe it's because I'm looking for them or they bump into me. Um, I just found out from a news story that Russia got rid of weekends for 11 years. What? What? They got rid of weekends? 1929 to 1940, (laughs) he wanted more production out of people. He gave everyone a color. So you worked four out of five days instead of having seven days. It it was awful. It was awful. Read up on it. I just found the story from another writer that I follow on Instagram and he was using it to talk about um, just the relation of how we think about weekends. And they used to have Monday weekends. This is, this is for you, Stalin. Wait, (laughs) forget the genocide. Fucking taking away weekends. Do that. (laughs) I mean, how do you have the foresight and just get everybody to be like, no, this is what's going on. Give everybody a cup. Like this was a big system. That's fucked That's up. crazy. That's yeah, like it's nuts. That's like uh, in Downton Abbey. Yeah. What is a weekend? Yeah. I love that line. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I watched that. That's my life. What's a weekend? But coming from a completely different, different perspective. Different perspective. Yeah. Right? It's like the opposite. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> she doesn't. Ha- she doesn't have a work week. Right. You know. Um, yes. uh, part of it. Um, part of the uh, the why I write that way, especially some of the farm stuff, is that I want people who who have never been to this thing or have seen this to be like, that's what it's like. And I want people who know what it's like to be like, yeah, that's what it's like. Hmm. Um, Like the people who have contacted me uh, about the Quabbin, Melina, Melina, the the, the newspaper writer, she, she told me some cool stories and she gave me a different perspective uh, on how people view not only the Quabbin, but also the history of the Quabbin and the whole reason it, it's pushed east and how they feel about people in the east. Like I, I didn't know that, but it makes total sense. Mm. Yeah, interesting factoid. Um, Stephen King worked the Quabbin into um, Dreamscape. There's like a whole like one of the the final like scenes mm. in his novel Dream. Is it Dream? No, Dreamcatcher. Dreamcatcher. Okay. Dreamscape is a movie that, from the eighties. No, it's like half isn't one of his short story collections called no. nightmare and dreamscapes no yes but the, <laughs> the point is the the novel Dreamcatcher. okay part of it takes place at the quabbin okay the whole like end of it they have to open up one of the flow pipes Ooh, um, like at the quabbin yeah okay. at the quabbin like it takes place in belchertown what yeah read when it did he read that one did he write that oh that one was in the 90s it's it's a terrible book 
<laughs> no, it is. It's not a good book. He says, I think that was one of the ones he may have been on cocaine when he wrote. And he's like, oh, yeah, I don't, I don't remember that one. <laughs> or, or it's not a good book. But um, We digress. Anyways, I'm digressing. Um, Jordan, I wanted to ask you, um, you grew up on a farm. You started this um, um, urban farm in Brooklyn. You now yeah. live in a yeah. farming community. Yeah. Kind of back back to farming. Are you still are you doing any kind of growing or farming or are your hands back in the soil? I certainly am. Yes. Yeah. I own property and it's been the first time where I could improve property that I could keep. I'm thrilled about it. Yeah, I'm growing uh an eight hundred square foot, give or take a hugel culture bed. What culture is where you hugel culture is where you uh drop a bunch of trees or a tree and then just grow yeah. compost on top. So uh, there was a bunch of overgrowth here at the property. We took down around 30 pine trees. Uh, we mulched a, a bunch of the bark and the limbs and whatnot. And I just buried 20 of them. I got a truckload of compost from uh, Bear Path Compost. Waitley, I think. Mm-hmm. Bear Path. Uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, so now I'm growing in that. So this is year, this will be the, the third spring for that. So uh, softwoods take a good five to seven years to really break down. Um, so the growing hasn't been amazing, but once I get it all broken down, it's going to be glorious. Is that, so you're, are you just building the soil? Is that what you're doing? And to, so you can yeah, plant so something. Yeah, a bunch of soil, a decent amount of soil reclamation needed to happen. It's pretty uh, rocky here. Yeah. Mm-hmm, and I didn't, uh, it didn't do, so I added a bunch of lime and the trees had been overgrown. These were 70 year old white and red pine that were about 60 feet tall. Oh so my the, God. The, the ground was devoid of light and um a lot of vegetation that should be there wasn't there so we had to get rid of these trees and slowly plant new grass and do a long soil reclamation yeah i don't want to spend a bunch bunch of money so i'm just letting everything rot and composting everything putting that back onto the soil and nice yeah um you should connect uh, Jordan with uh, Lindsay. Well, it sounds like he Matt. already knows all these other oh, people that he probably um, already knows. <laughs> we uh, there's a farm in town, Oak and Ash Farm. They're kind of really mm-hmm. gotten going in the last um, year or so, um, and it's Lindsay Baird and her and her husband Matt Baird run it. And uh, they they we have a, two podcasts with them. Um, if you're ever interested in listening to them, but they have some really cool ideas about farming and stuff. And they're, mm-hmm. and they're, they're into this particular type of um, farming. Um, regenerative. 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 regenerative yeah. How deep are they in? There's oh, some very, very cool stuff happening. Oh, they're very deep. Very deep. They are deep. Yeah. Very um, deep. And um, Lindsay's amazing. Um, so and they're growing commercially? Yeah. Uh, uh, they have, they a, have CSA, a CSA. A, a small CSA great. they started great. up. Great. Yep. That's that's a great place to start. Yeah. Wonderful... Yeah. Anyways, um, um yeah. They're cool. They're cool. Um, we'll connect. They're you. cool people to connect with. Um are you were aware of I think it's Vince's Venice Venice veggies, the guy who grows the giant pumpkins? No. Um, no. Fine, I'll I'll link you on Insta. Like if you did a seven hundred pound pumpkin, wow, like an eighty pound watermelon here in town. Yeah. Oh. That's amazing. Crazy. I found him on Insta. His daughter is in my daughter's kindergarten. Oh, for real? For real. I wonder if he entered that pumpkin into the big E. That's our big regional yes, fair. Yes, I believe. Yeah. Yes, because this one, or yes. There was pictures. I feel like I've seen. Very big strand. Yeah, I feel yeah. like I've seen that. 
Um, Jordan, I, I know as we're wine, as we're beginning to wind towards the end here, is there anything mm-hmm. else you wanted to um, talk to us about? Make sure you you hit on from the writing oh, side. Really? Anything else? No, um, no. Uh, if if people are interested, if people if people are like me. When I, before I had support, I would say, go find support. I found great support in a couple organizations, the Society for Children's Books, Writers, and Illustrators, SCBWI. I know a lot of people um, um, don't want to focus on kids' books, and that is a phenomenal nationwide organization that has a very strong support here in the Northeast, and I strongly su- suggest a membership, or at least check them out, uh, or Straw Dog Straw Dog mm-hmm. Writers Guild is a, is a valley-focused mm-hmm. writers group uh, founded by Jane Yellen and other people. Uh, pretty heavily poet-focused, but very good as far as monthly get-togethers and uh, open mics and uh, supporting people with books. And I found, yeah. um, oh, cool. I found great ways into that. And through that, you'll find groups and, and, and people to bounce your ideas off on. You, ha- you have to get into a regular group. You have to. Mm-hmm. You have to. Cool. It keeps you honest. It keeps you moving. Nice. Have you dipped your um, toes into poetry at all? Oh, a little. Yeah. No, not seriously. I have done the most I've done is um, a sonnet for direct address. So I'll do a sonnet or a, a poem for someone's birthday or say hi or thank you. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. But not nothing. Mm-hmm. Nice. I think I'm going gonna... to. I wrote a thing about home, I guess. It's not that, I don't know, but I, I don't consider myself a poet. I just try to. Home, um, Wisconsin home or a different home? Yes. Yeah. Home. Uh, for, for my parents' anniversary. <laughs> oh. But um, That's sweet. Uh, I, I put it online uh, recently and it's nice. Uh, oh, okay. The hometown crowd likes it a lot. Mm. Nice. Um, what do you like to do when you're, not, when you're not writing or working? If you have any other free time, what do you like to do? It's gardening. There's a lot of that. Um, I'm a vid head though. I love going down a good, ridiculous uh, Instagram hole or a music video hole. Like I'll just try to find some new stuff all the time. I found some great artists just smoking a bowl and watching some videos. Like there's some, some amazing artistry happening all the time. Yeah. And every time I think that I found the best song already, I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> What do you think? Um, what's the current contender for best song? Do you, <laughs> can you could you name? Is it possible to name one? Not in the zeitgeist. I can't name that song. I don't know what the best song is out there right now. Um, what is the best song that I was listening to recently? Uh, the, the Encanto soundtrack is in my head, but that's oh not what I'm going with. It's not what I'm going with. I've listened to a lot of camp lately. Um, Weezer's Pinkerton album came up. Um, nice. I really think that is a super, superb piece of work. Um, what I've been into? A bunch of 90s stuff for some reason. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys listened to 311, but Grassroots, I think, is a sweet. I saw like, 311. One. Did I see it with you or did I skip no. that? No, it's a 311. No, wait, was it Incubus was opening for 311? Yeah. 311 oh, yeah, was opening definitely. for Incubus we were at dating. the Mullen Center. We were dating at when the we time. When we went to UMass, I worked at the Mullen Rich. Center, and I met Brandon from, was it 311 or was it from the other band? He had dreads. It must have been 311. You met him in, like, in a group? <laughs> I mean, like, in a groupie no, 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 no. I was at the Mullen well, Center, and I was working. 
Yeah, yeah. I was working. That's incubus is the dress. And uh, oh, okay. I was just backstage and like, right. you know, by the green room or whatever. I think I picked you up after that yeah, concert. You probably picked <laughs> me up after. But yeah, no, I love 311 back yeah. in the day. Okay. I mean, they're still um, awesome. They're still awesome. They're great. Uh, Kragambin and Leon Bridges, their stuff is, is phenomenal. The um, Texas Sun, what they put out, I can listen to Leon Bridges for just about any amount of time. Nice. Um, Camp, I was thinking I mentioned that already, but uh, I don't know. That's all. There's so many okay. good things. Okay. I love music. Song? I think I know what the best song ever is. Oh, yeah. Do you? I do. Ever. Don't say it. It's this uh, new rap song called no. What's, so, What's So Merry About Christmas, <laughs> about Christmas? <laughs> by Young Creamy Sawtooth. Oh, my gosh. Um, Not again. <laughs> You're bringing it home. YCT. Okay, uh, last question, Jordan. We ask this of everybody, and um, Mm -hmm. I hope it doesn't come as too much of a surprise. Some people get mad Mm -hmm. when we ask this. I have a feeling you're not going to be mad. I have a feeling you'll have an answer. Um, What have you experienced that you can't explain? Oh, sure. Do do you have an answer? (laughs) I just, I don't know why it popped in my head, but yeah, uh, when I was a child on the farm. Oh, no, no, no. Hold on. Let me set the scene. It's too loud. It's too loud. loud. Okay, go ahead. I I loved climbing up on the tallest thing I could. Uh, okay. We had a number of silos, and then we had a, the thing that was taller than the silo was the harvestor. It was a giant blue thing. It went up like 80 feet. And we were known because we had a very, very tall harvestor. And I would climb up there, and I would do what I was not supposed to do, which was throw rocks off this very tall thing. Okay. And I tossed a rock off a side that I knew I shouldn't have thrown it on. And I, I hit a turkey, a bird that was in a little thing down there. And I was, was like, the only thing that couldn't happen is like, just don't hit. You can hit anything else down there. Yep. Just don't hit an animal. I hit a turkey and I freaked out. And so there's whatever, 90 steps you got to come down. So it took a few minutes. And by the time I got to the spot where I thought I was going to find the carcass of a bird, there was no bird. There was no problem. Everything was gone. Like, I don't know if I imagined it or if it just went away. Like if I, it was far away, so maybe I missed it. But to this day, I've been like, I wished that dead bird away. That's my best explanation. That's good. So a um, Schrodinger's turkey. (laughs) 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 Right? Thank you for sharing that with us. You're welcome. That's awesome. You're welcome. Oh, stomping Jen. Anything you wanted to ask Jordan before we begin to say goodbye, the the goodbye rituals? No, I feel like we could have talked for an hour. I know, we could have gone longer. um, But I I promised Jordan we would keep it to an hour, to an hour and 15, and we're Mm -hmm. already already over. It's true. Gone an hour and 25 minutes almost. Oh, my God. I'll write another thing and come back with another idea. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, We do have return guests. um, So this was fun. so Jordan, this was a hoot. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, uh, we can't thank you enough. We really appreciate you coming on here, talking to us um, about your writing and your journey as an artist, and you know, for for doing awesome things here in our little area of the world. Mm-hmm. We love it. I appreciate you having me. I'm I was very fortunate to find Belcher Town, and uh, I stayed away because of the name for so long. But mm. lo and behold. Here you are, in, in the belch with us. We're all in, in, in the belch. <laughs> deep in the belch. Deep, deep in. in the belch. Um, <laughs> listeners, here's some things we want to say, right, Stomping Jen? Yes. Um, thank you for listening, of That's course. Right. We, we continue to appreciate that. Um, 
we ask you to go out and find us on social media, connect with us there Mm -hmm. on Facebook, Instagram, uh, follow our podcast in your app of choice, Mm -hmm. subscribe, download our episodes, share with a friend, um, share with a friend. That's important. If you like what you're hearing here, share with a friend, uh, check out our new website, softservepodcast.com. Um, you know, we don't have much on there. Yeah, we do. We do? We've stuff. What's on there? Yeah. All right. Well, um, go check it out. Yeah, check it There's out. There's things to do there. Yeah. Okay. Um, what else did I want to say? There's one other thing I wanted to say to our listeners. I don't um, know. Oh, I just wanted to shout out the Ukraine. Um, the Ukraine? Well, give me a second. They're under siege. I, I understand that, but... <laughs> Maybe I, we're providing them with some well-needed uh, entertainment uh, out there. You know... <laughs> Uh, Jordan, like a year ago, I dumped, for some reason, I heard Kiev um, was big on podcasting in American culture. So I dumped a bunch of money in advertising there. And our, our listenership has continued to grow in the Ukraine. It's amazing. Run it. <laughs> yeah. Run so it. I want to say to our, I want to say to our Ukraine listeners, we, uh, we, we definitely appreciate you more right now. Mm-hmm. Right? Sure do. Way more, way more than the listeners that we have in, um, <laughs> should I say it? The localist. Canada. Canada. Yeah. I mean, we've got a good number of, a good number up there, but right now we appreciate the Ukrainian listeners more. I just wanted to tell you that. Thank okay. We're that's thinking right about now. You. That could change, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. It could change. Okay. All right. Um, All right. Alrighty. Well, uh, we love you, uh, folks. Uh, thanks for listening. And uh, Jordan, just give a shout out, a goodbye, whatever you want to say to sign off. Goodbye. Good night. Thanks for having me. All right, Stomping Jen. Go ahead. It's your time to shine with your goodbye. Bye now. All right, folks. Bye now. This world of ours ever growing smaller, must avoid becoming a community of dreadful fear and hate. Those who have freedom will understand also its heavy responsibility. That all who are insensitive to the needs of others will learn charity, and that the sources, scourges of poverty, disease, and ignorance will be made disappear from the earth. And that in the goodness of time, All peoples will come to live together in a peace guaranteed by the binding force of mutual respect and love. I shall never cease to do what little I can to help the world advance along that road. 